Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Heath. I'm the lead pastor here at Reach, and we're finishing up our series called I Am Today, taken out of uh, John 14, specifically verse 6. Uh, we'll get there in just a second. Uh, our one thing that we want to cover today, and I want you to hear from beginning to end, is there is life only in Christ. Uh, I believe in, um, or not I believe, but in Ecclesiastes 3. Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon. Solomon uh, was known to be one of the wisest, and it's interesting in Ecclesiastes that he, he tries all of these things and figures out that none of them work to appease the heart of man. They, they don't satisfy. They don't. So he, he's done all the work for us so we don't have to go the same route that he did. But here's what he wrote in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11. It says, he, talking about God, has put eternity in to the hearts of man. In us, I believe every single one of us, whether we, are, we name Jesus as our Lord and Savior or not, we have this longing inside of us for connection, for something deeper. We have a, a desire for life. And I believe that desire was deposited in us by God for us to seek Him out and to know Him. And so what we're going to talk about today is a continuation of what we've been talking about, but we're going to talk specifically about what it means for Jesus to be the life. And we're going to talk about that in twofold. That means life present and life future, but we'll get there in just a second. That longing for connection is in us. The problem with that is that we spend a large portion of our life trying to fill that longing, that need, that desire for connection with everything else. We spend our life over and over again thinking, maybe this job will satisfy me. If I get to this level, you know, I'll, I'll be happy. Or maybe if I get to this level of income, I'll be happy. Or, or maybe I, if I meet that one special person, they're going to complete my life. And the truth is, none of those things will ever satisfy us. Um, husbands and wives, um, you're, you're not designed to satisfy your spouse. You're not designed, and I mean that is, in the heart, they're not going to give you what this longing that's put in us has. And our problem is, is a lot of times we get disappointed with that relationship because we're expecting them to be Jesus for us. We're expecting them to be our Savior. We're expecting them to give us our life and, and to make us happy and bring us joy and all these things when God has desired that for us by Him. So what happens when we look to other things? Just like I said, we spend our time getting over and over again dissatisfied with this thing that we pursue. And so what we want to talk about, I want to lead up to John 14, but let me give you a little, if you haven't been here um, so far, let me give you a little headway for what's happened the last three weeks. So we started in John 14, and we went through chapters 1 through 12, but leading up to that, you have to understand that in chapter 13 of John, you have Jesus who is surrounded by his disciples, telling them clearly, plainly, that one, one of you is going to betray, and they see Judas leave, and Jesus declaring it's this guy. We have Jesus very plainly, I think in 33, that he is going to leave. He's going to die. He is leaving this planet. And here's disciples that have devoted their whole life to following this God, that said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. 
follow me. And they were looking for Jesus to be a Messiah who would come and establish a now kingdom. Which wasn't his intent to begin with. But they're sitting there. They've given away. They've given up everything. They've left jobs. They've left families. They left careers. They, Matthew left his tax collecting booth. And here follow Jesus. Seen him heal. Seen him restore life from death. They've seen him uh, cure leprosy. They've seen him create food out of a few fishes and a few loaves. They've seen him do miraculous things. And in verse 13, he tells them where they finally understand. It wasn't the first time he's told them this. I'm leaving. And so in verse 1 of chapter 14, it starts off with, do not let your hearts be troubled. Of course, their hearts are troubled. They have 11 of these guys have devoted their life to this man who they're expecting him to be the Messiah in a different way than their expectation. John and James have fought to be on his right and left. They were thinking of this earthly kingdom. And so it leads up to this. So he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. He tells them, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. I will return. I will come and draw you to myself. Follow me. He tells them, hey, come. You know where I'm going. So come after me. And this leads to verse 6. And Thomas does what we should do more of. Like, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I'm around people and they're telling me things and I just nod my head. There was ten disciples, other than Thomas, that were sitting there when Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going away, but I'm going to come back and get you, but you know where I'm going. The other ten disciples are like, yeah, we sure do, Jesus, because we've been listening, we know exactly what you're talking about. And Thomas is going... How can we follow you? We don't know where you're going. And in verse 6, which is where we've camped out the last three weeks, Jesus turns to them, and this is to comfort their troubled hearts. And it's to answer Thomas's questions. We don't know how to get to where you're going. And Jesus says to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's telling them to comfort them that I am the way. The where I'm going, I'm the way. Follow me. And we talked about that week too, that Jesus has provided for us a way to the Father through his sacrifice. We see it. And then he's given us the truth through his word. We know who he is by what he's told us about. And he's proven himself over and over again. We get to understand what is truth through him. And today we're going to talk about what does it mean for Jesus to be the life? What does it mean for him to be the life, not only for eternity? Because I think sometimes we do an okay job talking about Jesus has come to, so we can have access to heaven. But we forget that, there's, that we're still alive right now, that he wants to not just give us life in eternity, he wants to give us life now. And so to talk about that to begin with, we're going to go into life eternal. Because they're, primarily what he's saying is, I'm going to give you life and life eternally. And I don't think we can talk about eternal life without a verse like Romans six twenty three. It's going to be in the screen behind you. It says, for the wages of sin is death. See, we have this perfect holy God that has desired a relationship with us from the beginning. But we, we... Including when I say we, like I think sometimes preachers say we, and you feel like we're just saying you guys, we have fallen short of this 
holiness that God has called us to. We have all sinned. There's no one in this room, like we're not, I'm not pointing fingers at people, because right now I can point fingers at every single one of us, including me. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, period. So what do we do with that? Because the wages of that sin is death. But here we go. Jesus, the free gift, or sorry, Jesus is the free gift, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternity rests in Him. The life that we get is through His sacrifice of what He's done for us because He has fixed what we could not. We cannot. Like There isn't one day a better you is going to make Jesus happy, is going to finally get Him to go, you're finally good enough for me. None of that. And we talked about that earlier on with the Isaiah 64, 6, our greatest works of righteousness are but a polluted garment. Our greatest deeds, our best day isn't good enough for God. And he knew that. That's the beauty of the gospel. He sent Jesus to be that for us. And when he's telling them to his disciples that I am the way, the truth, and the life, he, he's not excluding anyone necessarily, but he's saying, hey, I want everyone to understand that you have access to God the Father, through me. That in my sacrifice, I've given you the ability to have eternal life, the ability to have access to the Father. And that's where our eternity is, in Him. There is no eternity in us being better. Hopefully you've lived long enough to realize that you are not going to change on your own, in your own work, in your own effort. That it is God in us that changes us. We cannot just decide to be better people. We have to allow God to give us the life, to give us the heart transplant. So John eleven twenty five through 26. And he's talking to um, Martha. Mary and Martha, their brother has died. They have sent a message to their friend Jesus. Saying, your beloved has died. La- or not lot, he's sick. And so Jesus hears that his friend is dying. And what does he do? He runs directly to Lazarus. No, he waits four days with a journey ahead of him and does a couple other things like, hey, I've got to get this done. I've got to get that done. And he doesn't seem concerned. And he tells his disciples, oh, he's just asleep. He means that he's dead. They were very confused a lot. And so they're like, well, then he'll get better if he's sleeping. No, no, he is dead. And so Jesus comes into town and is met by Martha out at the road. And he tells her this because she's like, if you would have came, if you would have been here, he would still be alive. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she's thinking, he's saying, yes. Yeah, and she almost goes into this kind of religious spiel of like, yes, 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 I know at the end of life that you are. And he said, no, do you understand that I am the resurrection and the life now? And so he walks to the tomb and he says for the, the stone to be rolled away. And they're like, they, they're not believing. He says, do you believe this? And she's like, yes, yes. But when he goes to roll away the stone, they're like, it's going to stink. 
Like, don't roll away the stone. And they roll away the stone. And Jesus comes to the, the opening and calls Lazarus out of death into life because he has the authority to do so. He has the authority to give life to our mortal bodies. In John 6, verse 26 through 27. This was right after he had fed 5,000. So he had, he had groups of people that were following him into the middle of nowhere because there was a longing, there was an eternity in, him, in them that they're like, this could be the answer to what we've been looking for. And so they're following him, him around and he feeds them with a few fish and a few loaves and he, he fills their bellies and he tells them this thing. And I, I think this is critical for our pursuit of life. And Jesus answers them, talking to the crowd. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Like, and I think this is current today. I think some people follow Jesus, and I use that loosely, for what they think he can provide for them. So what he's telling them is like, some of you are following me because I fed you yesterday and you want more food today. And Jesus isn't necessarily there to give them food. And he's going to tell them this. In verse 27, it says, Do not work for the food that perishes. Now, this isn't just like, you know, don't, he, he's saying in general, like, hey guys, this is what he's telling to us in this room right now. Don't work for that which is perishable, because it doesn't satisfy. It doesn't give us what we want. There is no job. There is no, there, there's no thing that we can do that's going to satisfy our souls. He says, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And he tells them what that is. Which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. He's saying, look, pursue the thing that will give you life, which is Jesus. Not, I mean, most of us in this room have lived long enough to understand that those things that we have pursued, that we thought, once I have them, I will be whole and complete. And every single one of those leaves us longing, leaves us wanting more. I mean, the, the, the rates of depression and suicide aren't lower with the wealthy. They're higher. Because some of us in this room think, if we could just have that X amount of money, like that stress will be gone. No, you'll spend to what you make, and you'll be in the same predicament over and over and over again because you're pursuing something. Now, is this me saying, hey, quit your jobs, you know, go live in a monastery, don't do anything? No, we can serve God in our work. Jesus actually says, do everything as unto the Lord. You can do what you do right now, as long as it's, you know, not sin, like... There are some jobs that God would say, don't, I'm not going to get into those. Um, but for the most part, what he's saying is what you do, you can honor him there. You can show him glory by what you do, by the work you put forth, by what you do in your job, by how you do it. Not by looking around and go, well, Bob and Joe, they only do X. And so this is the standard of what you do. No, you serve. Like, you're not working for the boss. You're serving God. So literally, whether you're flipping hamburgers, you know, whether you're, you know, at Chick-fil-A, which we're getting one. Oh, I really I send 
uh, my children to work at Chick-fil-A so they can learn manners and how to deal with people, um, which I've succeeded with one. She'll probably forever say it's my pleasure. Um, and my uh, son, as soon as the one in Leland opens, he will be standing outside ready for employment. But there's this thing, he's saying, look, don't pursue the thing that won't satisfy, because the life that I can give you, you can live in the same place. You can still have the same spouse, the same work, and the same stuff, and you can serve him with those. It's just the fact that those things won't satisfy you. They're not made or designed to make you, and I don't really like this word, though I use it sometimes, happy. Happy is elusive. Happy is based on things that we have or don't have, where joy is something God gives us. So here, here we go. We just heard that one. So now John 4, verses 10 through 14. Jesus answered her. And this is, this is the woman at the well. So Jesus and his disciples were going to cut through Samaria. So to give you a little backstory, if you're like, I, I've heard Samaritan, but what does that really mean? So the Samarians were people, Jews, who disobeyed because God said, hey, don't marry outside of our people group. And this people decided they were going to marry outside of their people group, and they became, and I don't mean this to be disrespectful, but they became half-breeds. They became like, you know, not, not the, what they were supposed to be. They had disobeyed, but they were still trying to do their life. And so the Jews did not like Samaritans at all. Like, they would literally walk miles out of their way not to cut through a town. And Jesus was going from one place to the other and intentionally, not by accident, cuts through Samaria. And so there's a woman getting water at the well. And he has a conversation with her because it was not normal that a Jew would ask a Samaritan for water. This was unusual. This It kind of... Freaked her out a little bit because she was like, why are you asking me? So Jesus is at the well, all of his disciples. I don't know why it took 10 men or 11 men to get him dinner. Maybe they're that incompetent. I don't know. Uh, but for the story, they had to be away. So they're away. Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman, which isn't normal. And he asks her for some water, not because he's necessarily, I'm sure he's thirsty, but his lesson wasn't about him getting water. He asked this question, just like he did with Thomas, to present an opportunity for him to share truth. So in verse 10, it says, Jesus answered her after he asked for water and after she's like, why are you asking me? And he gives her this, the beginning of a bigger conversation. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And I love that, you know, in our wisdom, we look in the natural of what's going on. And of course, the woman said to him, Sir, idiot. Like, I imagine it with a little, little like, I can't do it right. But, you know, there's a little attitude in the neck and the eyes. Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Because she's saying, hey, I came here with a bucket and a rope and I know how I'm getting water out of here that you're asking for. And now you're telling me, even though you asked me for water to give you this living water, how are you going to get it? See, he, he baits them so well. I mean, because she's like, you've got nothing? Which, like, he just set her up. It just, he just lobbed her a little. There it is. 
And then she asked, continuing on, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from him it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. He's saying, hey, Jacob, whom they both know, like he's part of the lineage of what Christ is in, Jacob dug this well, literally. Are you greater than one of the patriarchs that dug the well, who he himself drank out of it, like he touched the cup, like, ah. Um, He drank out of himself, so did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. And of course, what has she done? Every day, for probably as long as she's known, she's come to the well to get water, because that water goes away because you drink it or use it to cook or clean or do whatever with it, but it has to be replenished over and over and over again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. She's thinking in the natural, like like in our modern day, like you're going to run a tap into my house, I'm going to have a faucet, I'll never have to come out here again. Long story about why she's out there midday, I'm not going to get into that. Um, don't normally get water in the middle of the day. Normally it's in the morning when it's a little cooler. And she's like, oh, how, how do I get this? The water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What he's talking about is I'm going to give you this thing that you've been longing for. Because the bread, which we talked about, and this water now are things that you have to have life. We cannot exist without water and something to eat. You will die, period. There's no getting around that. And what he's talking about is the things that you had to have life, bread and water, he's giving them an illustration that he is that thing for eternal, for real life. You won't thirst again. And of course, right after that, she's like, okay, give it to me. Like, I want it. He's like, oh, no problem. Bring your husband. Because in that culture, you typically what the conversation he's already had really was socially unacceptable. And he's saying, hey, go get your husband. Bring him back and we'll have this conversation. And she's like, well. He's like, oh, I know. You've had five husbands and now the man you're with is not your husband. And I mean, like, long, long story. Um, and then she, like we do, naturally, when we get confronted with our sin, we... we we talk about something else. And she's like, well, well, I, I hear. You, we say that you worship here, God. and But you Jews say that you worship over here. Because she's like, hey, let's talk religion. That usually goes well. Religion and politics. politics. Yeah. And she's like, well, what, well, who worships? And then he goes on to say, hey, a day is coming when true worshipers, it won't be where. It'll be who you worship. That they will worship in spirit and in truth. That they'll have that life which I give them. And what does she do? She like she goes to the, the town, which she's been avoiding people, and she tells the town who she just met. It's like, I, I just met somebody, and he's told me everything about myself. And they come back and end up believing in Jesus because of her testimony. They actually say, we believed at first because of what she said, but now we've heard you. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's not our story that we're selling. It's not like, oh, look what I've done. And she didn't all of a sudden miraculously, like my life is back together and I'm perfect. She's going, hey, I just need to bring you 
to the source. But that eternal source doesn't come from somewhere else. We will never have access to the Father outside of Jesus. We'll never have that heaven life without Jesus. Because it's either someone has to do it for us because we are unable to do so. And Jesus was telling them in this text that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So not only eternity, but life now. You hear a lot of times at, you know, end of sermons or traveling evangelists, they'll, they'll, they'll say at the end of their sermon, you know, if you were to die today, do you know where you'll go? Which I don't think many of you will die today. I mean, it's always a possibility we need to think like that. But the reality is, is my bigger concern is what happens if you live for the next 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years? Because Jesus is interested in your life, not just your future. Because in our life, where we have access to Him right now is where we get to see Him and experience His life in us. Because He uses us, a flawed people, to not sell our story in our redemption, but to sell and I use that loosely, don't take offense to that, please, to sell Jesus. We're bringing them to the source that, that that life comes from, to that place that finally satisfies us. John 10.10, 10, uh, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Like, as we're, we're talking about the way, the truth, and the life, the thief, the, the world, is trying to sell us a bill of goods that will satisfy us. The, every self-help book that comes out that's pointing at something else other than Jesus is just trying to get you to go, okay, this is going to be my path, this is going to be my way. And the problem is that won't work. And he'll do it through advertisements. They'll, they'll do it creatively. Today you'll hear something on the radio of what you if, you, if you have it, you'll finally be satisfied. And you, if you live here, I apologize in advance. Anybody live in St. James? Okay, good, good. You won't take offense to that. So. They have an advertisement. If you write around and it says, want it all. <sighs> if you live in St. James, you're going to have it all. Like that, and I mean, it's a great piece of marketing. Don't don't get me wrong, but that's the world telling you if you just have this. Oh, like if I just can live in that neighborhood, if I can just have this one thing, and the truth is, none of those things will satisfy us. And Jesus is saying, "Hey, there, they've come to take life from you, but I came that they may have life and life abundantly." And that abundant life is in the middle, and this is the beauty of the rest of the epistles, is in the, is in the middle of a chaotic, sometimes pain-filled life. In the middle of that. In the middle, I mean, most of the New Testament, not the Gospels, most of the New Testament past that was written by a guy named Paul, who wrote most of it in prison. He wrote Philippians, which the, the, the crux of that book is joy. In the middle of being persecuted for doing nothing other than declaring the name of Jesus. Nothing. 
And he's writing from prison. I mean, he was on his way. And he didn't know this necessarily. He's probably banking that Jesus is going to free him. On his way to execution, the further it got along, he was writing letters from prison about joy. Because God came that we could have life, not just eternal life now, and have it abundantly. See, Paul said, I've learned how to be content in all things because his treasure wasn't how much food he had, how many possessions he had, where he lived, what he did for work. I mean, because you could go, oh, I've even in his profession, he's like, I have locked myself into not preaching the gospel in public anymore. He could, he could have easily gone, I have failed the mission of Jesus who called me into this ministry by not being able to. But what did he do? He, he would he'd write at the end of the letters saying, all of the house of Caesar have heard the name of Jesus. And, and, and write in there that many of them have proclaimed in the life that Jesus is now their Savior because he's in jail. Like how many of us go to prison to get wisdom and life from people that are in there. Hey, please tell me if you do. I mean, there might. I mean, okay. I'm not saying there. This is. A, it never happens. But most of the time, you don't go to prison to get that. Wit, like, I just want to sit at your table and get the wisdom because you're in jail. Um, but Paul literally used it to his advantage. He was shackled to um, soldiers every in four hour rotations, and he would get them captive audience. They couldn't go anywhere, and he would preach the gospel to them. And those men changed the world. I mean, people were believing in Jesus because of this. Because Paul was experiencing life abundantly in the midst of trials and tribulations. James 1, Romans 5, find the verses in there that says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because without those things, you don't get to be whole or complete. So don't look at when you go through trying times, which we as believers are not promised not to have those. In my my, I'm, I'm fully against the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The, you know, accept Jesus, never get sick again, accept Jesus, and have big bank accounts. And I, I, I bank all of that on on the ten disciples. Gave more than you did. Were more faithful than you'll ever be. And ten of those guys died horrible deaths. So if you can be obedient to God and He'll give you these you know, blessings and, 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 and all this other stuff. Like I have a hard time believe, believing that the eleven guys that followed Him around and gave everything away that He would go. They, to the end. And the, the you may think, oh, I want to be the number 11. I mean, he was boiled in oil. He was lashed. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. I don't know how many times. I mean, he was exiled on Patmos. I mean, it was not an easy life for him either. But the joy is in the middle of that, God awakens us to him. Because I'm telling you, trials and tribulations will constantly clarify our world. It just will. It has this way. I think without those sometimes, the world is so noisy and so like clogged with everything else that we, we miss so much of it. And pain and suffering has a way of clarifying what's important. John 8, verse 12. And again, Jesus spoke to them saying, 
I am the light of the world. This is, there's seven I am statements. We've been covering one of them for this last three weeks. There's other ones just like this. It says that I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus says, I'll be the lamp until your feet. You know, he, he doesn't promise that he'll tell you, like, look, I mean, I'd love a GPS, Jesus. That I, I, could, I could put my final destination, whatever that is, and Jesus would be like, yep, yep. And then I could look ahead because we can cheat on the map and go, okay, I'm going to make, you know, in 10 miles up, I'm going to turn here. No. We, in, in the Jesus GPS, we only have this go here, this one thing. My GPS has been pinging Leland for eight, well, really, nine years. This is your destination. This is what I've called you to. This is the place that I've set you in. And I'm sitting here going, I just want to be obedient. I want to stay in the place that's there because he gives us light to understand who he is. The more we get to know him, the more we get to understand his heart for us. But that's, that's what our promise is. Not that he'll give us, you know, step five, six, and seven, but that today, because we have no, we have no access to change our past. Unless you've got a DeLorean at home. Anyway. I'm getting older. My references, you're falling flat on younger people. Back to the future. It was a time machine. So I, we can't do anything with our past. And we can't do anything about our future because we don't know what, we have no control over that. But we can, where we have access, where we have access to life is right here, right now, in this moment. Where we have the ability to experience God fully is here. And he's promised that as we follow him, that we won't walk in darkness. We won't fall all over ourselves. Now, if we run ahead... (laughs) We're in trouble. Matthew 6 is the last verse I want to share. Matthew 5, verse 6. It's part of a Beatitudes. Uh, but there's this one. It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Which I think you can substitute very easily for the life that God wants and desires for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The more we pursue this, the more we get to be settled with what God's doing in us. I'm going to invite our worship team up. I have a few questions for us to just kind of contemplate as we go in. We're going to take communion today. And let me just give you a little explanation of what communion looks like. If you're new here or never experienced communion with us, um, we have... Let me uncover. I completely forgot to uncover it for a uh, we do communion by intinction, uh, which is just a fancy word that means that you take the bread and you pick it up and you dip it in uh, the juice. And then you can go back to your seat with your family or in a corner and pray together and take it any way that you want. So who is communion for? And it is uh, gluten-free for those that have gluten intolerance. Um, who is communion for? Because that's a big question when you go somewhere, you know, am I permitted to take communion? So... At reach, what gives you access to communion is your surrender to Jesus. If you are a follower of Jesus, as Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then communion is available for you. 
So here are some questions for you. Where, and be honest, not because you're not going to say it out loud. You can. There's a greater level of accountability when we do, but in this moment, where are you looking for life? Like, as I've intentionally talked about different things, there's probably something that you're like, yes, over and over again, I'm looking at this for life. I'm looking at this to satisfy me. Here's another one. Have you found it in Jesus? This is a great question as we lead up to communion because communion is, is... it's something that we can easily take for granted, but it's literally something Jesus asks us to do until he returns to remember what he's done for us. Because when you take communion, you're, you're declaring that you are not your own Savior. Because it's not your body, and it's not your blood that's been shed. You're declaring that Jesus has done for me what I was unable to do. So as you take communion, you're declaring that you're king. The person that you said you were, the things that you did that are recorded in your book, you've done for me. That life that I have access to comes from you. So be honest. Ask yourself, where, is, where are you looking for life? And if you found it in Jesus, celebrate it today. That's the beauty of communion. We get to, in just a few seconds, and this is my prayer for communion today. We're constantly needing to be refreshed by God. Because we're in this vessel that's struggling, that's going through life, getting bumped and bruised. And we, we need to be reminded that someone loves us. And communion is that. It's a declaration of His love for his children. It's a declaration, really, for his love for the world that he's saying, hey, in me, there's life. Let's pray. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know what's going on inside of us. You know where we're looking for life in places that aren't you. And Lord, I, I just pray that right now that you would, you would bring awareness to that. That we can walk out of that acknowledging that that hasn't satisfied me. That hasn't brought me to what you have for me. And I want to trust you. And Lord, as we partake in communion, Lord, I pray that there would be a refreshing today. Lord, that there would be a deposit of peace and joy that comes only from trusting in you. And Lord, I I just declare no one comes to the Father except through you. No one comes to you without your access to us. And Lord, so I just pray right now that you would call people into you. Lord, that 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 eternity that's crying out in us would point to Jesus. And so in us, as we worship, as we take communion, Lord, I pray that you would be glorified. And Lord, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.